church family, I love that we have the freedom as sons and daughters that we can worship Him in any way, as long as it's in spirit and truth. It doesn't always have to be a four-song set and all this kind of stuff. We're able just to come because at the end of the day, He just wants our hearts. That's it. You know, and one of, that's why we love the phrase that we believe God gave us is that we're simply about Jesus because when you encounter him, it's a game changer. Yeah. It, it really is. There's no way around it. He is the sole definer of history. He's the one that created everything. And that's why our heartbeat at Austin Oaks Church, if you're part of our church family, if you're just checking us out and somehow happen to find this stream, like that's why we love to help people to meet him, to know him, and to ultimately follow him. Because he's the hope of the world. He's where joy comes from. He's our rock. He's our anchor. He's the calm in the storm. And only through him can we have a peace that surpasses. Like when you think about that word surpasses, it goes beyond anything that you could ever think of. He's the one that gives us that peace. And we don't want to waste your time by telling you a bunch of other things that ultimately are trivial in this life. Like we want you to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, we want you to know him more and to follow him more because he's infinite and there's no end to knowing him. We could do all sorts of things. We could spend a lot of time about religion, but we don't want to do that. We want to talk to you about Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that if you are alive this morning and if you're watching this, it's a safe bet for me to make that you're alive. And if your heart is beating, this is for you. You need to hear this because I'm willing to bet that within the last seven months, but since COVID started and probably even beyond that, but specifically the last seven months, you probably felt frazzled at some moment, frantic at some moment, unsettled, uneasy, anxious, concerned, frustrated. Maybe you experienced hurt or even hurting right now, confused, uncertain. This is a trying time. Life, besides COVID, is trying. And uh, I love the fact that we're in the series called Untangled because I don't know about you, but for me, when I start to experience life like that, it, it just starts to feel like everything gets knotted up, gets all tangled up. And, and for me, when I'm dealing with things that are knotted up and all tangled up, like, I, I tend to get overwhelmed. I can't seem to make sense of it. I feel anxious. And there's even those moments where I just want to throw up my hands in frustration and just be like, I'm done with it. I can get gloomy. I can get depressed. You know, it's just, it's not fun to feel that. And so we're doing a five week series and we're calling it Untangled. And we're dealing with this concept of like how to find peace and all of these circumstances. What is the right perspective? What is the right frame set that we should have in order to live a life of peace? In order to live a life that's above the fray. The life that we've been promised through the power of the Holy Spirit. A free life. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. I want to encourage you to turn there. And as you are turning there, I want to tell you. Um, about two pet peeves that drive me nuts. This is like my personal therapy time, okay? Now, I have no problem telling you about my pet peeves because I know you have some pet peeves that completely drive you nuts too, and maybe some of you will resonate with me, okay? One of my pet peeves is this. 
okay? It's not fishing. I love fishing. But <laughs> tangled fishing lines drive me nuts. Yep. They frustrate me, right? Now, obviously, I'm just going to say it. This is not of my doing. I would not allow this. I want my kids to love fishing just like me, so I would take them to go fishing. And honest to goodness, about 90% of the time, and you know, if you've ever taken your kids fishing, yep. you know about 90 to 95% of the time, you're not fishing. No. You're helping them. And my kids have like these magical fishing string real powers that no matter what happens, they somehow get it tangled up. And so this is the last time we went fishing. It was right here. And I got so frustrated, and I didn't even mean to, but I couldn't untangle this mess, so I just left it. But you'll notice I actually broke my son's fishing pole. And I just got on that point. I was just like, I'm done with it. I hate tangled fishing lines. Now, the other pet peeve that I have is very similar, and it deals with cords, okay? Cords, all of the phone cords, the chargers, everything. You know, like, I, I won't say who, uh, but it's someone who I share a room with um, has a way to tangle up every single cord she gets her hands on. I don't know how she does it. I have no idea how she does it. Power cords, phone chargers, headphones, curling iron, blow dryer, every single thing. I don't know how. And I'm always like, person who I share a room with, not to be named my wife, you know if you do this, you ruin the cords. And somehow she passed that trade on to my son, who also, every single night, Honest to goodness, every single night, I will untangle his headphones, and, and then the next morning, they'll be all tangled up in this crazy knot. And I'll be like, how did that happen? He goes, I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I hate tangles. I, I, they frustrate me. You know, but now thinking about this, like this is the reality of life a lot of times where things start to feel knotted up. They're all twisted together. They're all tangled and it's hard to use. And it, it's actually impossible to use it. You feel like there's no freedom to be able to use it and it's limited to what you can do with it. When you feel that in life, don't you feel like, like you're just not free to exist in some ways? It's frustrating. You can't seem to make sense of any things. When circumstances and situations come at you, when thoughts and emotions and struggles, they get all tangled up, knotted up, it's hard to think clearly. It's hard to process clearly. And it, it even feels like, like this ain't going to happen. I don't even have the time to try to untangle this, so I'm just going to have to live with it. So here's the heart of the series, okay? I want you to understand this, and I want you to grab hold of this, okay? When we try to untangle our lives by ourselves, we create a greater mess. That's just the reality. When we try to untangle these things on our own efforts and our own powers through our own thoughts, our own logic, our own emotions, we create a bigger mess. It's only through Jesus and it's only through the gospel that one, we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's only through him that we can see redemption, not just in our own lives, but also in circumstances, in situations. And it's only through him where we can begin to make sense of every circumstance and every situation that we face. We need what he offers. We need what he gives us. And it's done through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he's given us the greatest power through the Holy Spirit to be able to untangle all of life's, life's, life's messes. At the end of the day, it's a perspective issue. Okay? It's a perspective issue. 
And one of the verses that we're going to use that's going to be a, a theme that goes through every single message, it can be found in Romans 8, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. So let's just play with that a little bit. To set the mind on the things of the flesh is basically you're trying to untangle things on your own efforts, your own way, through your own logic. Your flesh is, it counts for nothing. It's, it's pointless. It's futile. It's all vanity. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Now, I, I, just real clear and just real blunt, the unbeliever has no choice here. The unbeliever can only live by setting his mind on the flesh. He or she knows no other way. They're trapped there. It's a tangled mess. But for the believer, we have a choice, okay? We ought to be setting our mind on things of spirit, but often, if we are honest, we don't do it. We still set our minds on the, mi- or the things of the flesh, and we still try to untangle things ourselves. And if without even realizing that you're going to get so frustrated, and you might break something and absolutely regret it. But there's beauty here, though, because all of chapter 8 is this whole passage is saying, this is what life ought to look like through the Holy Spirit. So this series Hebrews 12 even says that like we should be throwing off every sin that clings or entangles or ensnares every weight in sin that ensnares and we are to run the race look to Jesus it's a mindset set your mind on the things of the spirit because that's where peace is that's where life is no other place no other place So let's jump through this, okay? Because my heart is, whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in, I want you to see your life through the narrative of the gospel. Don't look at life through your narrative, through what you're writing, through the story that the world is telling you. No, no. Stop and look at your life through the narrative of the gospel. And what we're going to be speaking to specifically here are going to be two issues. If you're in a circumstance right now where there's hurt, confusion, um, fear, or weakness, this is what you need to hear this morning, okay? So let's look at this. We're going to start verse 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That right there is brilliant, okay? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Chapter 8, verse 1, starts with probably the most profound statement in all of Romans. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That means you can never again be condemned. You might feel it. You might feel that type of oppression. You might feel that type of guilt and shame. But the reality is your position cannot ever change. You can never, ever, ever again be underneath condemnation if you are in Jesus. It's impossible. In fact, if you were to be under condemnation again, get this, he would have to deny his own son. God cannot do that. You are free. 
When you think about that right there, like you have then no valid reason to fear anything. No reason really, even though things will cause fear, but you really have no valid reason to fear. But the reality is, right? Our circumstances and our situations, what we experience can be extremely persuasive to make us feel all tangled up, all knotted up in fear. And if things, some things happen to us where we start to feel condemned, either by our own sin and addictions or things that have happened to us, we don't always feel free. Hardship, struggles, loss. A lot of times they make us wonder, is there hope in our suffering? In fact, this is probably the top reason why people don't believe in Jesus is because they can't make sense of suffering. But for the believer, the gospel, even for you who don't believe, there is so much hope for suffering, so much hope in suffering. I mean, that's why I love this because he's given us a way out of these tangled messes. And that's why I love starting here with this verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, listen, believer, how many of you feel condemned when you feel weak? How many of you feel ashamed when you feel weak? Maybe it's a habitual sin that you can't snap out of. Maybe it was that morning when you just lost it on your children. Or you got mad at your spouse. Or you don't know what to do because you lost your job. Or maybe moms and even dads who are now teachers of their children at home. Or even those who are teaching in this crazy world. Like, like, do you feel guilt and shame that you're weak? Like, God, I should have this together. Like, the premise of the gospel is that you're weak. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like, the, the, like, that is not a surprise. But for us, we, we still hang on to this pride that somehow the flesh is good. That I can do this. Like, there's a quote that I absolutely love. And it's that, to be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. Like, that's Whoa. the beauty of being a Christian is that we shouldn't believe in ourselves at all. We place all of our faith and all of our hope and everything in Jesus. That's why there's no condemnation because he did it all for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And not only that, how many of you have ever been in moments of circumstances where you feel like you just don't have words? I don't know how to pray. Maybe I'm too sad, angry, hurt. I just, maybe it's like even just you're welling up with things. You just, words fall short. Look at this promise. The Holy Spirit is praying for you in your weakness, in your tangled mess, in any and every circumstance or situation. He is interceding for you with groans that words can't even like be attached to. It's like there's an emotive feel towards that, but he's also praying perfectly according to God's will. The one who searches the heart, the Father who knows the heart and the motives is, is hearing the Spirit's praying and he's always praying for you. So even when you feel like you don't know how to pray in a circumstance, when you feel beyond weak, the Spirit is there. Where you stop because of your weakness, the Holy Spirit is continuing. So like we really have no reason to feel condemned or frazzled or like knotted up like this is never going to change. The Holy Spirit is praying perfectly to the Father. The Holy Spirit takes up where we leave off because of our weakness. 
I mean, that is a beautiful and powerful truth. Be encouraged. You ought to be encouraged by hearing this. If we don't know what to pray for, he does. When we can't find the words to express what's in our hearts, he does. He knows our hearts. He knows the mind of the spirit, which groans, that feels deeply what we feel and what we need. And he prays perfectly for God's will to be done in our lives. What more can you ask for? But it doesn't end there. Verse 28. And we know. Stop right there. I want you to say that out loud with me. And we know. That is an amen statement. So be it. I believe this to be true. You need to have some stubborn tenacity to believe this. And we know that for those who love God, that's an important distinction. I'm going to come back to that later. All things, not some things, not just the big moments, the mundane moments as well, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We know that all things work together for good. We know. Well, how do we know that? Because of the gospel. Because God sent his only son. He paid the highest price for you when you turned your back on him. We know, like, if he's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit, securing as a seal in my heart, we know that any and every circumstance that may not always be caused by God, but he will take those circumstances in those situations and he will work it for our good and his glory. Now, I want to highlight something, okay? Because I need to talk to you about something dealing with context. Now, this passage here can be used a lot of times um, out of context has caused confusion and problems. So here's a great example. Um, This past spring, I believe it was Father's Day, or maybe it was two years ago, I can't remember, but ATO, Acorn Stokes, our preschool here at Austin Oaks Church, by the way, which is awesome. Addie, my daughter, youngest, is part of that, and they did this thing, my daddy, and they filled it out, and a bunch of little things they filled in. And so there's one line here that if taken out of context, which it was, can be very embarrassing, okay? And it says, my dad always says blank. So what she said was, my dad always says P. So the teacher had no idea, took it out of context and actually wrote that ever so embarrassing word. But listen, that is not what I say all the time. I do say little P. She's my little P, my princess. And so that's what she said, but the teacher took it out of context and used it wrongly, okay? So it's the same thing here because this verse doesn't imply that everything in the here and now will somehow find a silver lining and we will experience good real soon. Like a lot of times this is used out of context in a sense that, oh, God will give me something materially good or relationally good. Or maybe that this means that I shouldn't be facing suffering or the future suffering on earth won't happen. That, that is not true. Nor is it saying that everything is good. That there's a specific promise tied to this. 
okay? It's a specific promise. Like, you may not see on this side of eternity, okay? Like, listen, you may not see, and you probably will not see, how God works it all out for good on this side of eternity. But just because you don't see it, doesn't mean he isn't working it out for your good. We use this always in the temporal. This is not a temporal promise. Could he bless you back and turn something good materially? Yes, he could. Could he do it relationally? Absolutely, he could. But that's not the good that he has in mind. The good he has in mind is far greater than any good that you could think of. And that good is to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That means nothing, absolutely nothing is wasted on this side of eternity for God to fulfill his purpose in your life. Every horrible thing and every tedious thing and every happy thing and every sad thing and every rejoicing thing and every depressing thing, God is working that all out for your good. And the greatest good is to be conformed into the image of his son. And that's why he goes down as like, you're foreknown, you're predestined, called, justified. And the last line is you are glorified. And the perspective there is like this crazy past tense, even though it's future tense, but it's past tense because God's outside of time saying it's happened. Nothing's wasted with God. No moment, no circumstance, nothing is wasted. So invariably, this means that that painful chapter in your marriage that you either have gone through or you are going through, your financial setbacks, those moments of depression, this school season, God is using all of that for your good to conform you into the image of Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, if you submit to Jesus in faith, you will. You will see all of these painful moments, all of the heartaches, all of the tears, all of the disadvantages, all of the letdowns. You will see how God has used those for your good and his glory. You will. You might not see that now, but that doesn't mean he isn't doing it. We know, we don't know how, but we know he's working all things together for our good. And it's only God can do this. Only God can do this. The world just doesn't naturally happen. Karma is a fool's errand. The world can't do it. The world's broken. Only God can do this. And yes, I know some of you might be going, well, um, it doesn't feel like that's my greatest good to become like Jesus because you're like well here's my issue right now why, why, why doesn't this change here circumstances and situations on this side of eternity listen they will become a tangled mess they will cause hurt they will cause suffering they will cause confusion but we have the promise that the Holy Spirit is interceding and our weakness, praying perfectly. And we know that God is taking all things and turning it for our good. Our problem is, is that we don't understand eternity. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, like, you know, like, eye has, has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. This thought of becoming like Jesus is sort of like um, giving a, a Monet painting to a preschooler and expecting a preschooler to appreciate the fine art and all of the, the brilliance and genius uh, attributes that Monet put into that art piece. That preschool is going to see and be like, how can I draw on that? That's how we, we feel when we hear these promises. The problem is we just don't, we don't understand eternity, but we know that God can only do good and he can only give the greatest good to his children. Even 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that all of the sufferings we face, the, they're light and momentary struggles. Confession. When I'm going through a difficulty and I feel like everything is in a tangled mess, I'm going to tell you right now, that struggle, that affliction does not feel light nor momentary. But when you see Jesus face to face, it will look and feel light and momentary. And then we will understand that God never, ever wasted a moment. Favorite movie, Nerd Alert, Karate Kid. Loved it. Loved it. And my favorite scene is um, when uh, Daniel's son was tr- needed to learn some karate because he was bullied and all that kind of stuff. And Mr. Miyagi, like, you're like, who's this guy? And he's doing this thing, giving Daniel all of these chores, you know, wax the car, paint the fence, sand the floor. And finally, Dan- Daniel's son gets like, why am I doing all this? He, d- he can't make sense of all of the things that he's doing until that moment Mr. Miyagi just started throwing punches and kicks, it, kicks at him. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, oh. A lot of ways, that's how this passage is, is working. When you get to heaven, this is, this is so cheesy, forgive me. When you get to heaven, you're going to have that karate kid moment where you're going to look back and be like, oh my gosh. You have to believe that God is working for your good. And this whole foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified peace is this chain of thinking, not to so much make this argument about, you know, a theology of salvation, determinism versus free will. That's not Paul's point there. Paul's point there is basically saying God started it. He foreknew. He started it. And he's going to finish what he started which is glorified. He's saying, listen, nothing can thwart God's promise. Nothing can thwart God's word. Nothing can thwart God's purposes. What he started, he will finish. Believer, listen, if he started a work in you, Philippians even says that, that he will finish that work. He will. He's given you the Holy Spirit inside of you. And in those moments when you don't know how to pray, in your weakness, he won't shame you. He won't guilt you. He's going to intercede for you perfectly to the Father. And we have this confidence because of the gospel that God will work all things together for your good and his glory. And I love what Paul does here to end. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Should I continue to try to untangle this mess by myself? Should I still feel condemned, fearful of things in this world, confused, anxious? What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Listen, these are rhetorical questions that Paul wants you to ask. He literally wants you to think the gospel. If God is for us, who can oppose you really? Friend, do you feel like God is for you? In, in the good times, when everything already feels untangled, oh yeah, God is for me. Got that job, I got that relationship, the kids got the good grades, and, and whatever it is. And we're like, God is for me. But what if you lose your job? Like, what, what if your marriage is, is fraying out? What if you lost a loved one? Not by natural means, but let's say tragically. Is God for you? Is God still working all those things out for your good? Is the Holy Spirit still interceding when you fall short and don't have words? 100%. If God is for us, God is always for you. You have no reason, no reason at all to be afraid of any opposition. Any. This is a challenge to any fear that you would face. Any anxiety that would come against you. Is God for you? Yes. 100%. Never wavering. The struggles that we face are big and real. They're not being downplayed. But God is behind us, He's in front of us, and He's inside of us. And He's bigger. If He paid the highest price by sending His Son, He's for you. He's for you. Will he give us all thanks? Look at this line of thinking. Would he withhold? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all all things? He paid the highest cost. You can't get any higher than that. He gave his only beloved son. That is the greater thing. He gave that. And the logic here is going, well, would he not then give us lesser things? Like, Parents oftentimes spare their children of punishment. It's hard to punish your little kid when they're looking at you with these little eyes. Sometimes judges spare the criminals. They don't give them necessarily always a severe uh, penalty. God didn't do that to his son. The father did not spare the son. He did not water down the punishment. The full wrath of God was upon him because he loves you and if God did that when your back was turned on him do you think God is now going to turn his back on you in the mess and the circumstance that you're in do you think he's just going to flippantly walk away on you and be done with you if he didn't spare his son, yeah, of course. He will do this. He will give what you need. Now, J.I. Packer, who just recently passed, one of my favorite authors and theologians, he writes this about this specific verse. Paul is telling us 
that there is no ultimate loss or irreparable impoverishment to be feared. If God denies us something, it is only in order to make room for one or other of the things he has in mind. The meaning he will give us all things could be put this way. One day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. What higher assurance do we want than that? God sacrificed Jesus to redeem you and I. And that ought to change how we see every circumstance and situation in life. Who can bring any charge against you? Who is there to condemn you? Well, we already saw in verse 1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the logical answer is no one. Why is that? Because the one who judges you died in your place. Think about that. The one who judges you died in your place. If you love Jesus, I want you to say it with me. I can't be condemned. You cannot be condemned. People might accuse you, but the reality is Jesus is going to say, I saved that one. I acquitted that one. I justified that one. He is now or she is now as if she or he has never sinned. All the charges laid against you have been paid in full. All of them. If God has purposed our glory and has declared you righteous, why would you ever feel guilty or unforgiven? I know people who say this like, yeah, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Can I ask you a real sober question? Whose opinion matters more? Yours or God's? If God has said, I've forgiven you, who are you to say that you can't forgive yourself? Are you greater than God? You really got to wrestle with that. It's been paid in full. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. Now he's standing before the Father on our behalf. And even in fact, like if you read this, he's also interceding for us. Good night. The Spirit is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. God's promise to turn all things out for your good. Don't try to untangle the mess on your own. Let him do it. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? No one. Nothing. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Nothing. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. How many of you feel that sometimes? You're just like, man, I just feel like I'm just here in this life to be beat up. No. That's emphatic. No. Uh-uh. I know my wife is laughing at me for saying that. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A more than conqueror is someone who takes not only, like the more than conqueror is one who doesn't just simply defeat their enemy, 
A more than conqueror takes the enemy's purposes and designs and schemes and turns them into their own good. What others meant for evil, God intended for good. What Satan means for evil or intends for evil, God turns into good. We are a more, we are a super conqueror, as it were. Only through him who loves us because we have the Holy Spirit inside interceding. We have the promise that God's going to take every circumstance, every situation, every moment of your life and work it for good. And we also have Jesus interceding for us. Look at your tangled mess and go, I don't need to meddle with this. I'm going to set my heart and my mind on Jesus. I'm going to put some of the things that trip me up, the sin. I'm going to confess those sins. I'm going to live and appropriate by faith these truths of Scripture and allow that to begin to work. And when you start to do that, you're going to experience freedom and joy and life. And you're actually going to be excited to be conformed to the image of Jesus versus just trying to live a better life. Nothing on this side of eternity for the believer, nothing can affect you, your identity or your position. Situations and experience will come, but listen, because of Jesus, the one who loves you, you are now greater than your situation. You are now greater than these circumstances. Your life cannot be defined by these things. It's defined by being in Jesus. You are a treasured child of the Father. If that is true, what do you have to be afraid of? Who can stop God from fulfilling his plan? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? I love that song. Everybody's going to bow their knee to him. Nothing can stop him. Who is there to condemn you, discourage you, disrespect you, or marginalize you? No one. What unexpected news could actually devastate you? What unexpected diagnosis send you spiraling into complete despair? None of these things can separate you from the love of Christ. Now, I, I have to speak to those of you, maybe if you're not a believer, like I, I want you to understand something, and these are things that are sometimes really hard to say. But some of you might be going, wow, I, I like that. That was a great message. I want that hope. I want that kind of assurance. I want that kind of peace. I, I want you to hear this. And I say this completely out of love. These things are only true because of who Jesus is. And they are only true for those who love him. If you are outside of Jesus, none of these promises are true for you. They can be, though, if you receive the gift of life he extends you. But until you are in Jesus, enter into a relationship with Jesus, these promises are they're, they're not for you. In fact, it, it, you need to understand that this world won't turn out for your good. It's going to end horribly. You need to wrestle with this. Is Jesus who he says he is? Because if 
you discover that he is who he says he is, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. He, he's our living hope. He's the reason why we can be untangled, live free, and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Only Jesus has the authority to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Only Jesus has overcome the grave. Only Jesus has lived the perfect life. Only he can overturn all of the bad things for good. So wherever you're at this morning, I just pray that you would surrender your heart to him and his spirit. Where you feel weak, he is strong. Where the circumstances, situations seem larger than life, and life is just so tangled up, listen, he who is in you is greater than any and every circumstance. And he's mighty to save. Lord, I pray that you would just take these words wherever they land, and I pray through the power of your spirit that you would do what you need to do best in each individual life. For those who are outside of Jesus, who don't believe in him yet, Lord, I pray that you begin to convict and stir in their hearts, open their eyes to see the truth of who you are. Help them to see that, that you know, the sun will not necessarily come out tomorrow outside of Jesus. But there's only hope to be found in Jesus. There's only meaning in our suffering through Jesus. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters who love you, Lord, I pray that they would find great hope, great encouragement, and even a greater passion to want to live by the Spirit. Lord, for any of those out there who feel like life is just all knotted up in a tangled mess, Lord, I pray that they would um, start to um, believe your word and stand on your promises. And even if their feelings betray the truth, Lord, I pray that they would place the truth above their feelings. Even if we can't see how you're turning things out for good, that our faith would be such that we know you're going to turn things out for good. We know. So we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would use this last song to seal what you want to do in our hearts, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name.